Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be examining the readings for the Solemnity of All Saints. That's November 1st, 2020. Incidentally, it's been since 2015 that we've had a Sunday where it's been the Feast of All Saints. So let's look at this a little bit. Uh, we all have a desire for eternal life. We want to get to heaven. Uh, and we may even ask Jesus what we need to do to get there, just like the rich young man did. And we'll be just kind of crestfallen when we find out that it's more than just following the formulae, that what Jesus expects us to do is to leave behind all that inhibits us from following him without any reservations. And we also may even realize that it's, this is something that's impossible to do on our own, and we may be even willing to allow Jesus to give us the power to do that following, like he did the apostles. But the only way he could do that empowering is if we allow the Holy Spirit to be alive and active in our lives. With that in mind, let's look at the first reading. All three readings and the responsorial psalm this week uh, address what it means to be a saint. And we have to remember that when we're talking about the saints in the Catholic sense of the world, word, it's the communion of saints. We had the, the church triumphant, the saints in heaven, the church uh, suffering, the souls in purgatory, and the church militant, that's us on earth fighting the battle uh, for, for Jesus so that we too can join the at least the suffering saints and hopefully at some point get to be among the church triumphant. So the first reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Now notice this isn't from the Old Testament. All three readings that we're going to have today are going to be from, I'm sorry, I, I, I was wrong. The first reading is from Revelation, excuse me. And Revelation, of course, is the story of the triumph of the king, the triumph of Jesus overall. Uh, we will be looking at that in a, in a sense, and we're going to be just taking a small snippet out of Revelation here. And it's the whole book of Revelation is leading up to the wedding feast of the Lamb. The wedding feast of the Lamb, okay? And it begins off with, I, John, saw an angel coming up from the east. Now, the east is where the sun comes from, and that is the place where it is believed that Jesus will come from on his triumphant return, holding the seal of the living God. Now, the seal is 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 the thing that when, when you look at the, the uh, movies with the king, and he has got the there's a proclamation he has, or there's an envelope or something, and they drop the wax on it, and he puts his ring down on that, the symbol of the kingly authority. So he's got that seal of the living God. He cry out in a loud voice to the four angels. Now, these are the four angels. If you, if you read verse one, you'll see that these are the four angels that are holding back the wind in all directions. <clears throat> Uh, who are given the power to damage the land and the sea. So these are the people that are, these are the angels that are given the power to destroy everything on earth so that the new earth can be done. But it, God tells him not to damage the trees or the seas until I put the seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now, what that is saying is that God wants to put his mark on the saints. And uh, if you get tied up in some of the, uh, some of the imagery and stuff, as some of our Protestant brothers and sisters do, who who look at the Book of Revelation and, and take it all very literally, they they think that the mark of the beast might be something like having a a uh, UPC code on your forehead so that you can do all your your transactions and, and do it's what you need. It'd be like your social security card or credit card, but it's attached to you in such a way that you've got that mark on you. 
Now, God wants to put his mark on us as well. And that would be the mark of our being sons or daughters of God. So, so it says, until we put the seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now, uh, let's take a look at a couple of uh, verses here that, that uh, we need to take a look at in other places. Uh, it says, and it's good to talk about the 144,000. Let's, let's go on a little bit. Till the seal of, I heard the number of those who were marked with a seal as 144,000 from every tribe of the children of Israel. Now, now we're talking here about the people who were God's chosen people. Now, what is significant about 144,000? And if you look at Jerusalem Bible note, uh, New Jerusalem Bible note, uh, Revelation 7b, we'll see that 12, the sacred number, squared and multiplied by a 1,000 represents the totality of all who have been faithful to Christ, the new Israel. It says, look at, at Galatians 6.16, marked with God's seal, Romans 4.11, the note that's at that verse. And in the end, they will escape the plagues to come. Look at Exodus 12, 7 to 14. <clears throat> so God is talking about the totality of those who are followers of him. Because to the uh, Hebrew mind at this time, thousand was an unimaginable number. And you, you had this perfect number, the number of the tribes. And again, if you look at it, it's the number of the apostles, and you square that, which makes it bigger yet. And then you multiply it by a thousand. So it's an unimaginable number. So it's a totality of everybody. Uh, and so you can also see here in Revelation 4, 14, 1, the same imagery comes. It says, next in my vision, I saw Mount Zion, the mountain of God, and standing on it, the lamb, who is Jesus Christ, who had with him 144,000 people, all this, all with his name and his father's name written on the forehead. They're marked with the sign of God. Now, again, we have there's some, particularly the Jehovah's Witnesses, take this 144,000 as literal, but you have to understand that in here, as a, as in much of it, uh, the book of Ezekiel and some of the book of Daniel, it's all symbolic language, and you have to understand what the numbers mean and what the symbols mean to be able to interpret it. Again, it means an unlimited number of people. Okay, so let's go on. Let's look at uh, Revelation 22, 3 and 4. This is in the last chapter of Revelation. It says, The curse of the destruction of destruction will be abolished. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city of his servants, will worship him. They will see him face to face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. So, but how did they get there? It's more than, how do you get your name, God's name written on your forehead? And to that, I go back to the early uh, part of Jesus's ministry in Matthew seven twenty one. He, he tells the people there, it is not anyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the person who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it, it, as James talks about, it's faith goes, faith to be real, faith has to be lived out. It says, James tells us, faith without works is dead. So what, what we're saying, seeing here is, that if you listen to God and listen to his commandments, and the idea of listening in the Hebrew mind was to listen intelligently. And to listen intelligently, you did what the word told you. So it wasn't just sitting around and saying, I've been saved. It was more than that. So let's take a look at some more. And it says, after this, I had a vision of a great multitude, which no one could count. So 
if you thought 144,000 was big in your mind, take an infinite number of people, which no from every nation, race, people, and tongue. So this is talking about the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Jesus wants to spread his salvation to all the earth. There is nobody that's supposed to be left out. So there are no barriers to salvation. You don't have to be a Jew. Your parents don't have to be Christian. Your grandparents don't have to be Christian. You could come from an environment where nobody knew anything about Jesus. And you you are called to salvation. And they stood before the throne of the Lamb wearing white robes. Now, I'm going to use this white robes as something that's very important here. We're going to see here in in the uh, uh, responsorial psalms, psalms something about being clean. And we'll see in the second reading something about being pure. And in the gospel, we'll say, we'll see clean of heart because we're going to read the, uh, the uh, Beatitudes. So these are the white robes and holding palm branches in their hand. And of course, that reminds us of John 12, 13, where we see that Jesus, well, I'm going to read 12 and 13. The next day, the great crowd of people who had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday. They took branches of palms and went out to receive him, shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So this verse recalls what happened on Palm Sunday. It is a giving praise and glory to the King as he comes. So we've got that. And they cried in a loud voice, salvation comes from our God. So in, in, in Palm Sunday, if you, if you look at some translations, it talks about Hosanna which means save us. And so they're, they're calling out salvation comes from God who is seated on the throne and from the, God, the Lamb. So it comes from God the Father and God the Son. Now, we go on to the next thing. All angels stood around the throne and all around, around the elders and the four living creatures. Let's, let's and it, we're going to lead, see down before that, that uh, there are 12, uh, 24 elders. Now, the four living creatures, if you look at something from St. Irenaeus, he will tell us that these are the four evangelists, and the symbols of the evangelists that he gives are the same as, as what we see in, in Revelation. So we're maybe talking about the four evangelists here, standing at this point. And the 24 elders, when we get to that, uh, is if you look at that from a perspective that you've got 12 tribes of Israel with the 12 patriarchs of the 12 tribes, and you've got the 12 apostles. Now, there are other comment, there are commentators that will say it's something else. But in, in many commentators will say that it's talking about the 12 tribes of Israel with their 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. So they prostrated themselves before the throne and worshiped God. So they, their form of worship was to go down completely on their face and to praise God and worship him. Amen. Blessing and glory and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever, men. Now, God already has all these things. So he doesn't need any more, but he's got them. Then one of the elders spoke up to me and said, who are these wearing white robes and where did they come from? I said, Lord, you know, you are the one who knows. And he said to me, these are the ones who survived the time of great distress. Is your life in distress? 
Are you going to survive the distress you're in now? And if there's more distress to come before the coming of Jesus, are you going to be able to survive them? They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You notice it doesn't say that they were that their robes were white all along. It says that they were stained. And in the process, it's washing in the blood of the Lamb that that purity comes that we're going to read about. And we're going to look at the, sec- at the gospel right now, and then we'll come back to the other things as we have time. Now, the gospel is one that is extremely early in Jesus's ministry, and it's the, the eight Beatitudes. And when we look at the eight Beatitudes, we can be a little bit uh, confused uh, because it says in each of these things that you're blessed for something. Uh, so what does it mean? So uh, if you look at that, I'm going to read the New Jerusalem Bible note for 5C. So from Matthew 5C, it says, The Old Testament employed formulas of congratulations like these in relation to pity, wisdom, prosperity, and it gives several uh, positions for it. In the spirit of the prophets, Jesus here recalls that the poor too have a share in these blessings. The first three Beatitudes declare that people normally considered wretched and unfortunate are fortunate so that they are fit to receive the blessing of the kingdom. The subsequent Beatitudes are concerned more directly with moral attitudes. There are other gospel Beatitudes in um, Matthew 11, 6, 13, 16, etc., etc., so we don't need to go into all of that. So you have to remember, too, that Jesus is doing this teaching, and he says he's sitting down. This is the way that a rabbi would teach. Now, you have to look at what the word for blessed is here. And in some translations, it's translated as happy. And so what it's the Greek word that's used here is supremely blessed, or by extension, well-off or happy. Now, it... How, how can you consider it a blessing to be poor? But it doesn't say poor financially. It says poor in spirit. So what does that mean, for example? I am, I am, and I imagine all of you at times, are poor in spirit. When we look at ourselves and look at ourselves as we really are, we see how poor we are spiritually. And it says, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when you look at yourself and see that you don't, you can't quite figure out what is going on here. How am I ever going to get to heaven with myself the way I am? Know that God is telling us here, that Jesus is telling us that we are the ones that are ripe to be plucked, to picked, and joy the the kingdom of heaven. It says, "Blessed are those who mourn." Now. There are some of us that are listening to this who are grieving right now. We're mourning because of a loss that we've had. And he says they will be comforted. So the mourning is not going to go on forever. So blessed are the meek. And the, the meek is, is, is a, maybe a bad word to use here. Uh, the, the Greek word means mild, humble, of mildness of disposition, gentleness in spirit. So what it's saying is you're not cocky. It's saying that you're even-tempered. Uh, those of you who have, have, have done it, if you haven't done it, I would recommend that you find the litany of humility and look at it. For me, it is a very difficult lit- litany to pray because I don't want to pray for those things in my life. And yet that's what I need to be able to fully embrace God's kingdom, to know that I am nothing in comparison to God. And it's blessed are the merciful. And that word merciful is a Greek word that means compassionate as well as merciful. So blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. So if you, 
So if you want, if you want to see experience God's mercy, one of the prerequisites then is to be able to show mercy to others. Now here's the one that that I think is so important: Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. Now some of us listening to this are also studying a book by Jacques Philippe called uh, "Time for God," and on page eighteen. Jacques Philippe says this about the pure spirit, because Time for God is a a book on prayer. Jacques Philippe says, Jesus tells us, blessed are the poor of heart, for they shall see God. That's Matthew 5, 8. In gospel terms, the pure of heart are not people without sin who never have anything to reproach themselves for, but those who are inspired in all they do by a sincere intention of forgetting themselves in order to please God living not for themselves, but for him. That's important to know because we can, we can see ourselves as being so sinful and not really understanding what it is that God is wanting us to do. And we get hung up on our sinfulness rather than God's forgiveness and his mercy. Now, there's the opposite side of that is that I can do anything I want and God will be merciful to me and forgive me. That's not what it's saying here. It's saying that if you want to be pure in heart, you need to be repentant of what you're doing, and your intention needs to be to do what it is that God is asking you to do. You want to do his will. You need to be praying that part of the Our Father that says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that the only place on earth that we can have God's will done is in our own lives. Unless you think that this is something crazy, uh, I also would suggest that you look at Thomas Merton's prayer, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to sort of uh, try to encapsulate it for you. Basically, he says, God, I don't know that I'm doing what you want me to do. But I think that because I'm trying to do what you want me to do, that pleases you. I'm not sure whether what I'm doing pleases you, but I'm pretty sure that just the fact that I want to please you and I'm doing what I think I need to please you is actually pleasing to you. So we need to understand that. that. So we need to be clean of heart. Clean of heart means that we want to lay down our lives and like Jesus did for others. Jesus talked about that where he talked about, by this they will know that you are my disciples, how you love one another. And Jesus says, to love as he loved, to lay down your life for your friends. And that's what we're called to do. And then it says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Now, what is a peacemaker? We don't have a lot of those in our society today. It seems as though Anytime I turn on the, the television, especially to watch a newscast, I see people who are, uh, if not physically, emotionally shaking their fists at the other in, in anger and attempting to denigrate the, uh, some other person rather than to try to make peace. And I don't care what side of the spectrum it's on. And that even happens with some of the people in, in the church today, that we get so angry with somebody else in the church or outside the church that we aren't really trying to bring peace to the situation. Now, remember, Jesus was always trying to bring peace. So if we're going to live our lives as Jesus did, then we need to try to bring peace. Then probably one of the toughest ones of all, blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, righteousness is an interesting word, and and it's one that uh, we don't always understand. Oh, I missed one up here, which is one of my favorites. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, that righteousness is a state or equity. It's where things are and the person is who they are supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be a John the Baptist. I'm not supposed to be a Padre Pio. 
I'm not supposed to be a Pierre Giorgio Frassari. I'm not supposed to be a Francis, St. Francis of Assisi or Ignatius of Loyola. I'm supposed to be a Jean Wilhelm. And not even my brothers in my own family or my sister, we, we've got different calls on our lives. And the people that you sit next to in the pew and your, your spouse, if you're married, have a different call in your life. Some of it overlaps and some of it doesn't. But we're called, as Matthew Kelly tells us, to be the best version of ourselves. And so if we're seeking righteousness for ourselves and for others, then we are doing what we can to make sure that not only we are the best versions of ourselves, but we are helping others to become the best versions of ourselves. So it says here, uh, so if you are being persecuted for being who God called you to be, you are going to get the kingdom of heaven as well. And the martyrs proved this. And then another one, blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Then the hard part, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Rejoice is a word chario, which is uh, related to uh, uh, charisms. It says to be full of cheer is what it means. Uh, calmly happy, and then glad is to be jump for joy. So the, you're t- not only to be calmly happy, you're supposed to jump for joy when these happen because it means that you're getting closer to heaven. So let's let's go on now. Let's look at the second reading, and we'll spend some time on it. And this is from the second reading is from First John three one to three, and that's jumped ahead of myself earlier. This is John's talking all through this one about love. He says, Beloved, see what love, that's agape, the Father has bestowed on us, that we may be called children of God. Now, that's an interesting thing. Do you understand that you are a child of God? You are a son or a daughter of God? Now, let's look at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. It says, But those who did accept him, talking about Jesus, he gave the power to become children of God, to those who believed in his name. So do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he is your savior? Do you believe that he gave us a way to live a life? Do you believe that you are called to be an imitator of Christ and therefore to live the life that Christ lived as best as you can in your own uh, time and place? So he's given us that power. So then the, we can look again, let's look at Romans 8, chapters, uh, chapter 8, verses 11 through 14, 17. If the spirit who, of him who raised Jesus from the dead has made his home in you, if you're, the spirit is dwelling in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will give you life, give life to your mortal bottles, bodies through his spirit living in you. So then, my brothers, we have no obligation to, the, to human nature, no self-gratification, uh, uh, no uh, life in the flesh, no self-indulgence. So then, my brothers, we have no obligation to human nature to be dominated by it. If you do live that in that way, you're doomed to die. But if you live by the Spirit, put to death the habits originating in the body, self-gratification, self-indulgence, you will have life. All who are guided by the Spirit of God are sons or children of God, for what you receive, you receive was not a spirit of slavery that brought you back into fear, but a spirit of adoption, enabling you to cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself joins with our spirit to bear witness that we are children of God. And if we are children, 
then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, provided that we share his suffering so as to share his glory. Now that's pretty profound, I think. And are we really there? Do we understand that? Do we understand that in order to share God's glory, we have to share the glory that was given to Jesus, we have to share his suffering. And I don't think that's something that we really like to think about. And then he goes on to say, yet so we are. The reason the world does not know you, and that's gnoso, gnos, I can't pronounce it. It just means to know. And it's also a word that can also mean intimate knowledge, is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we shall be has not been revealed. So let's take a look at uh, John chapter 15, verse 21 says, but it will be on my account that they do this to you because they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus was just telling the apostles that they're going to be persecuted. He's telling us that we're going to be persecuted. And they do that because they don't know the Father. They don't know Jesus and they don't know the Father. And also in John 16, 3, again in the upper room on Holy Thursdays, they will do these things because they have never known either the Father or me. Do you know the Father? Does the Father know you? Father knows you. Do you know the Father? Do you know the Son? We know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him. We shall be be fully in his image and likeness when that happens. We are created in the image and likeness of God, but because of sin, that image is not where it ought to be. So we will be in the image and likeness of God fully. Everyone who has this hope based on him who makes himself pure as he is pure. So again, the idea of purity, and we need to be do that. And then the one thing that I would say uh, here in addition to this is that First uh, John, John 2, 5, and 6 says, but anyone who does keep his word, such a one God truly, uh, uh, such a one God's true love truly reaches perfection. That this is the proof that you are in God. Whoever remains in him must act. And I'll just finish with Matthew 5.48. Matthew 5.48 is that famous verse that says, you must therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We're supposed to be fully as we can as human beings in the image and likeness of God in all that we do. And with that, I'm going to end today. I'm not going to do, spend any time on the responsorial psalm. You can look at that yourself. I thank you for listening. I invite you to visit the blog uh, to get some written word on what I've said that's going to be quite a bit different from what we've been talking about today. Uh, I appreciate your listening and hope that you have a great week. God bless you. Remember, you are a saint because you're a part of the saint, the church here on earth, the church militant. God bless.